Welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on solitaire board games. I'm your host, Albert, and this is episode 298. Who, me? Yes, you. Couldn't be, then who? <laughs> Hi, Julius. How are you? Hello, Albert. Albert, you're in a giggly mood today. Well, you're being funny, yeah. <laughs> I'm enjoying your, your terrible humor. That's all. Stand up, all. stand up comedy over here. <laughs> so don't quit your day job. That's all. But I do uh, enjoy I it. I do no appreciate it. <laughs> so today we are going to be talking about the legacy of you. That's why you, not why you. That's right. Yep. And this is a it's a pretty new game. I just I, I backed it in Kickstarter on a whim, and it showed up already a month ago, like a month and a couple of days. So it's really new, and I have been playing it. A lot, and I really non-stop. Like it. Just about. <laughs> All right, so got... sell it on me. Let's see if you can manage to sell it to me. Okay. So, Legacy View, it's by Gartpill Games, and it's in the same line as a couple of other games, such as Hadrian's Wall and another one, uh, Raiders of Scythia, which I have not played either of those two. I don't know them. I think they're in the same line simply because they're solo games. This one is a solo game designed for just one player only. And it's designed by Shem Phillips. Um, in it, you play you, you the, also known as you the Great later on. And your goal is to stop the waters of flooding China. And you're building canals trying to stop that and get the, the river under control, the Yellow River. And that's the theme of the game. It's basically a... Is the a, river yellow? I don't know why it's called the Yellow River. I'm guessing it has something to do with the color, maybe the sand or a lot of silts or something. Okay. I, we don't know that. We'll get into some of the other details about that kind of stuff. I don't know that. Albert's historical trends have let us down today. Yeah. <laughs> it is It is also a work, or not a worker, a resource management game. It's worth mentioning that. So, yeah. So, history, you ask, huh? So, you is actually, it's based on a historical person, possibly, but maybe not. Um, he is later on known as Yu the Great, and he is credited for taming the Yellow River, also known as the Huang He. Huang He in Chinese. Uh, and apparently somewhere around 2000 or so BC, the river started flooding a lot. There was another guy, Emperor Yao, who was in charge of uh, China and tried to um, get the, the floods under control. And so he hired this one guy named Guan to build canals or something to stop the floods. Guan tried and failed. He was Yu's father. And so Yu spent many years with his father while he was trying to do this, studied everything he did, and later on went and built all the canals and created canals and levees that basically blocked all the, the waters from overflowing the land and thus saved the world or the day or whatever, China. Ancient China. The Because he did this, though, it had a couple side effects, such as now that the water was under control, they were able to use... The, the water to irrigate the canals were irrigation canals and they irrigated all that land around there, which made it much more bountiful and, and successful and actually probably had a big part of making China a, as powerful and important as it was th that far back. Again, 2000 years ago. He is also credited for being the first emperor in the Chia dynasty, XIA, kind of like the Legends of the Drift system game. Um, that is the first traditional dynasty. So he's also kind of, in a way, the, the founder of ancient China, I suppose. But maybe not. I don't know. However, 
he may not have existed <laughs> after you hear all that. He, they, there is no actual um, concurrent records of his existence around that time. So they don't know that he really was a real person. They, they, um, historians think he may not have been a real person. They think he, like the first records are like a thousand years later. So, you know, that's a little suspect. First time anybody wrote about him. They think maybe he was actually some sort of mythical creature or being or something, a god of some kind, a legend that was credited for doing all this stuff. And over time, the stories of this mythical legend evolved into the first ruler of China. That That's possible, but again, nobody knows. So that is the uh, the backstory of the game. You're playing this guy trying to control the floods before ever becoming emperor. So yeah, so I mean, that that's I find all that really interesting. Um, I apologize I, for asking about the history. I think we've spent enough time <laughs> on the theme at this point. Yeah, there you go. So that's the theme. Okay. And we'll talk more about how the theme feels a little later, I guess. Maybe tell me about the components. The components? Okay, so it doesn't have too, too many components. What it has is mainly a bunch of cards that you can be playing, different types of cards. Um, cards to represent your workers and cards to represent the barbarians that are attacking you and a few other cards. The There's also, and I'll get more into that though. There's a board. You're going to be playing on the board. The board represents a river area. So as you're... And in a way, I guess, a, a progress tracker because there'll be a bunch of cards on that board. And as you're playing, you'll advance the, your, your ship on the river as you're dredging the canals out. And the flood water, there's a big marker that also advances behind you. You need to stay ahead of it. So there's a big board. It's not actually a big, big board. It's a small, big board. Pretty manageable. So there's about 30 townsfolk cards. These are people that you will recruit to help you do all the work. You don't play with all of them necessarily, but you have a deck of 10 you start with and you could recruit more as you play. There's barbarians that you're going to be fighting against. These slow you down and get in your way, but you're able to fight them and gain stuff from doing that. There's a small deck of 14 victory defeat, victory and defeat cards, seven of each. I didn't mention it, but this is actually a legacy style campaign game, which is interesting. Each time you play a game, if you win, you'll draw one of the victory cards at random and do what it says. If you lose, you'll draw one of the defeat cards and do what it says. There also There's hut and canal cards. Those will be on the board that will have different effects as you're playing, um, different consequences for, for or costs for dredging the canals, and different bonuses when you build the buildings, for example. And because they're cards, they're going to be shuffled in different each time you play, different order. Um... And there's a 71-card story deck. That's really only 69 cards because there's a card to cover on the front <laughs> and a cover to the back, and those don't do anything other than just hide the deck. Hide the stuff. Yeah, exactly. So it's really 69 story cards. There's, they're all different types. Some are workers, some are barbarians, some may be the canal or hut cards, and other stuff. And you will uncover some of those as you play through the campaign. You'll never do all of them in a campaign, but you'll definitely do a good number of them. Would it be possible to get really close to getting all of them? I think... You can play a maximum of 13 games in a campaign, right? Yes. So you can definitely get a lot of them. And I think I think I read in the rulebook you could get something like about 75% of the cards at most. You definitely never can get all of them because some would only show up... When you lose, it'll give you one of two choices depending on how you lost. So you're only going to see one of the two cards in that scenario. And because of the way things happen, you may you may finish finish the game before you've uncovered all the story elements in the cards in your deck, for example, too. So potentially you wouldn't see some there. 
But but you definitely see more than, or I've seen more than half every time. I suppose it's possible to see less than half. The rules say you can, you might. Well, I don't know. So there's those cars. There's the hut and food. I said there's meeples. The the meeples are different workers in in five different colors. The there's plain workers and special workers, and they, they might have names for types of workers there, but it doesn't matter whatsoever. They work exactly the same. They're just different colors. Uh. Buildings, there's a bunch of wooden buildings, like 13 of them. You can have them on the board, and you could build them later on and move them somewhere else on the board. There are other wooden bits. There's some clay bits and some... Not wood fire. No, no. They're wooden clay cubes and wooden wood sticks. Wooden wood sticks, yeah. <laughs> I did say that. And then besides that, there's tokens, which are province... Not provinces, provisions. And... Uh, Cow, I don't know how to spell it. Cowrie shells? How do I pronounce it? They're little shells. You can find them at the craft stores, for example, and build beaded or shell necklaces and stuff out of them, I guess. But these are actually like token versions of them. These these are cardboard tokens. I would like to replace them with real shells. I may actually go and look at some point, but we'll see. Besides that, you have the rule book and then the storybook, which you'll use as you're uncovering stuff and playing through the game and, and uncovering the story in the game. So, I mean, there's your components. It's all nice quality. Uh, it all looks good. I like the art style on the cards, for example. If you're familiar with Hadrian's Wall or Raiders of Scythia, it's very similar looking art style. As a matter of fact, the, the Kickstarter included some promo cards, and I was trying to figure out what they were for a while, and I couldn't, and I finally realized they're actually promo cards for, for one of the other games. And they look, to me, I mean, I didn't recognize any of the symbols on it, but to me they look the same in art style. So it took me a little while to figure that out. Um, Do you like the art style? Yeah, I like it. I like it well. Um, I it works really well, and I find it interesting. I, I don't know that it. I've never like going. Oh, this is such a nice card or anything like that. But yeah, you know, I'm I'm happy with it. It doesn't have a draw to me, but it's not repulsive. It's, yeah, it's not, exactly. I'm neutral on it. Okay. Um, all the icons and everything I think are very clear and very well done, so I'm very satisfied with all that. Nothing causes confusion. I appreciate that the different buildings are very clearly different colors. Yes, though I, I do have a complaint there because I played through one campaign and somehow I got confused between the purple and green ones and I was using the green where the purple go and vice versa. And so you get a benefit for, for having built purple buildings and I was getting a benefit I shouldn't have and making those types of buildings way more powerful than the green ones. And and I made this mistake because there's nothing in the in the game in this like I wish the board showed you where the green ones were versus the purple ones. Like they could have there's a little outline to put the building. I wish it had been green or purple or orange, depending on the building color that went there. Cause when once I got that rule wrong, I played the whole campaign wrong and it didn't hit me that I was doing it wrong until I came down to to write down the notes for the podcast and I was rereading the rules and it's ooh no wonder it was so easy. <laughs> so I started another campaign and played it correctly this time. But yeah, that that's my one complaint about the the buildings and the board and all that. Everything else very clear, very simple, the very well laid out. The board, not the board. The box has a good insert. It's a clear plastic insert, and the inside of the box is printed on also, and you could see through the insert onto the bottom of the box what goes where in each spot. There's uh, there's slots for all the different card types, so when you put it away, it's really easy to organize it and whatnot. The It looks like they're big enough to hold sleeves. 
because there's definitely a lot of wiggle room. I tried finding sleeves for it at the game store, but I couldn't find any that were the right size. They all seem to be just a little bit too wide, and I didn't really want. I don't like sleeves that are a little bit loose, so I just didn't get any. So yeah, there there's all everything about the components. Super, super clear, very well done, very very professional. Nothing about it makes me think it's cheap, other than possibly that one little complaint about the uh, the my mistake with the setup. Oh, what next? The rules. How about the rules? Very clear. It's a. It's not a big rule book. It's probably like ten pages, maybe twelve. Everything's laid out very clearly, easy to follow. I had no trouble with anything there. From the beginning, it tells you, you know, just start playing. Don't worry about understanding the strategy. If you lose, it's okay. If you win, you know that it's not a big deal. You'll you'll get it soon enough, and and things will go well. And so I followed that advice. Yeah, the first game I lost, I did not do well at all. But little by little, I started figuring out strategy and, and getting better. And I thought that was a good idea, just telling you that, not to, not to worry about it. I find it easy to reference when I've needed to, but very quickly, I have not had any, any need to reference anything in the rulebook. And the back page does have a, a a list of all the icons and what they are and whatnot. So you can always refer to that if you need to. But again, not not really necessary. So very happy with that. Um, besides the rule book, there's also the campaign book. Again, that's that's just a small booklet. You mean the storybook? Mm-hmm. What's that? Yeah, for the the legacy aspect, right? Okay. You, you flip to the number, like as you're playing, the card. Some cards will have a, a little turtle icon with a number on it. If you get if you get one of those, because for example, if you defeat a barbarian and the reward is a little turtle icon, then you will find the 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 storybook, find the related number, read the passage, and do whatever it tells you to do. Which is generally discard that card out of the game permanently and get a new card out. Not always, but that's generally what happens. And that that is sort of thing is true regardless of what kind of cards you got the story turtle from. Whether it's a, a worker or a barbarian or a hut or, or whatever. Very, very easy enough to follow. It's not many pages at all. And there's somewhere about 60 entries. I'm not sure exactly. The one thing that might be complicated about that, if at all, is like I said, if you lose a game and you, you draw one of the lost cards, you draw a random one, and it'll tell you if you lost due to floods, go to this number. If you lost due to barbarians, go to this other number. And that's it. Other than that, it's always straightforward. So yeah, very, very happy with all the components and the rules and everything. Did not have trouble following any of it whatsoever. Theme. We talked about the theme. We well, we talked about yeah. I, I will say it because of the storybook. It does feel thematic because um, you have the story, and and I will tell you, it's not much of a story you're unlocking. It's not no big plot twist or anything. I mean, it literally can't be because it can go in any order, right? It, things can happen in any order, yeah, to some extent. So, so there is some linear progression, but even then, I mean, it's just each entry is just sort of this person. Writing maybe to, to a loved one at home or just reminiscing about what's going on or, or maybe writing a journal entry about little tiny events. It feels it feels rather inconsequential. The first time through I read it, oh, you know, it's pretty writing, whatever. The second time through I'm just ignoring the writing entirely because it's there's no excitement in it. It feels like almost like you're reading poetry or, or some book of wisdom or something like that in a way. And, you know, it's fine. Not, not truly a big deal. The, the kind of ones that have a lot of dramatic plot twists and all that, if the game hinges on the plot twist, 
I think that may subtract from the replayability if you know what's going to happen. And the, the big excitement about the game is the plot twist. So not having to worry about that, I think I'd potentially add replayability. I don't really know. Uh, so yeah, so that, that was the theme talk. Gameplay then. I guess that'll be next. Here's the part I'm interested in. Okay. <laughs> so so the first thing you do is you're going to set up your game. You're going to get your board out. You're going to shuffle your workers. You're going to lay six workers along the top. There's seven spaces. You're going you're to set six up there, and you're going to get 10 more workers and put them on your little draw deck. The remaining 20 or so cards, or 15 or 20, whatever the number is, you set up to the top n- next to the, the row of workers that are on top. The ones that are on top are available to hire as new workers. The ones in the deck that you place at the bottom of the board are your current available workers. That one last space I mentioned you left blank, you'll shuffle the barbarians and put one barbarian card there and then set that deck to the side so that uh, you could draw more barbarians as you play. You will then shuffle up your your canal cards and place them on the board in the six different spaces. They're somewhat random in that they're numbered. Some cards will go in either space one or two. Some will go in either three or four, and some will go in either five or six. So it'll go in one of those three different sets. But you'll... And you'll two cards in each pair of spaces. You will place those out, and then you will place huts on the bottom. The heart, the huts are sitting there face down, so you don't know what bonus they give you at all. Everything else you know what bonus it gives you. The huts you'll find out when you build it and flip them over. And those, again, you, you shuffle them up so you don't know which hut is in which space. When you've done that, you now place the, the, the flood token on the first space before the canal cards, and then you place your ship on the first canal space. And at this point, you are now ready to play. That was the entire setup. Super easy. The turn consists of doing a couple of things. First, you're going to gather your resources, or harvest as they called it. And it's there's a little chart in the bottom left of the board, and it tells you what to get. You're always going to get uh, one of the white meatballs, one of the white workers, a cowrie shell, and a provisions. You may get more stuff, and you will as the game progresses. As each round, you there's a couple of different ways you could add to what you get. Uh, for example, if you have built orange buildings, you will be able to get an extra worker, either a white one or one of a different color of, of your choice based on, on which building you built or a provision. There's other spaces, the HUD spaces. There's four places where you put cards, but there's actually a fifth HUD space that doesn't have anything. On each of these, once there is a built HUD, including the one that starts pre-built, you could tuck a card underneath it each round after that, you will get whatever provision that card lists at the bottom, the worker card. There's also a discard pile next to your draw pile. Any card at the top of that discard pile, you will get a worker for that. And finally, those purple buildings I already mentioned that I got incorrect, you will get worker, or you'll get an extra cowrie shell for each purple building you have built. So all those things affect what you get. At the beginning, it's almost nothing, but as the game goes on, you'll be getting more and more each round. And you'll need all these different resources to build and keep up with it because as you're playing, the game is getting harder, the the later parts of the canal are harder to build, and the barbarians are getting more and more aggressive and attacking more and more. Okay, so the the main part of the game now is taking your actions. There's a probably like six or seven different actions you could do. And your actions are done mainly by playing cards from your hand. Each of the I can tell you, yeah. The One of the things you draw each turn also is workers. You always draw four worker cards from that little deck of 10 you had at the beginning. So you'll draw four workers, and they'll give you resources. You could either discard it and get the resource, or you could 
I will call it trash it, like if this was magic. You'll put it up in the top discard pile next to your where you hire workers. And it is basically now out of your deck. So your deck went from 10 to 9 cards. And you will get the resource that you have gotten for discarding it plus something else. So it's a, an extra bonus. You, either way, discarding the cards will get you resources. You, uh, other than that, you could do the actions. One of the actions I said is tuck it under the a hut. Once you have five different, potentially you have five different huts. You start with just one. Once you've got something tucked in there, you can't tuck a second card. Um, so you could tuck it in there to to get resources every turn from that card. You could build a hut. You could do that by spending a white worker and a clay and wood or some number of clay or wood, depending on which type of building. You could hire workers from that top row. The first worker is free to hire, so you could always hire him every round. The second and third workers cost one resource each, and beyond that, they get a little more expensive, up to three resources each, potentially. You could fight barbarians. And um, when I said, I'm sorry, they cost not resources, they cost provisions, specifically, the, the little food tokens. You could fight barbarians. Just like the workers, depending on which space the barbarian is in, they're going to cost provisions. You have to spend the provisions to be able to fight them and then spend workers of different colors to, to fight them. And depending on which barbarian you're fighting, it's going to tell you which colors. There, there are generally three workers to fight them, so it might be a two blue and a yellow or a yellow, a blue, and a green or whatever. You'd have to have those colored workers in your pool and discard them along with the provisions. And then you, f you defeat the barbarian. Once you've defeated the barbarian, you'll gain some resource from generally cowrie shells, but could be other stuff. I think I've mentioned most of the actions. You could also potentially trade resources like shells for other stuff and things like that. And probably the most important thing, because the way you win the game is by completely building the canal, is you could dredge some the canal. Basically, look at which card your, your ship is currently on. It'll tell you the cost, which is spending two white workers or three or more, I suppose, and some number of shells. You discard those things, get that card out of there. You'll gain some benefits from, from doing the dredging, such as clay and wood, and possibly just trash cards from your little deck. And that now removes one of the canal cards. Yay! Five more to go. <laughs> um, <laughs> you also unlock the ability to build a building in that space now. As you're dredging the canal, you're now able to build more stuff along the, the riverbank. Yeah, exactly, the riverbanks. I probably told you all the actions. If I didn't, the rest don't matter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's insightful. If I can tell you something, it just isn't important. I mean, and it is important in terms of the gameplay, but it's not super critical. I think I covered more than all the critical things. The final part of the game now is return the barge to the river. If When you built the canal space, you took the your barge off that card and discarded the card. Now go ahead and put the barge on the next card. So you're making progress on the board. And then you have to fight the barbarians. Any barbarians that are still on the board, you now have to fight them. On the card, it tells you the cost on the bottom. You either have to discard a card or spend some sort of resource, either a worker, possibly a white or a different color, or some number of provisions or shells. Some of them, you can't even choose to do that. You just have to trash a card from your, your deck. Um, once you have fought those barbarians... You you are done with the turn. You'll reset the board, basically sliding any workers you didn't purchase along the top to the left as far as you can. The barbarians that are there, you have to shift them to the left. How far to the left depends on how many canal sections you've unlocked. At the beginning of the game, you always add one barbarian to the board. At the once you've un 
built your second canal space, you're now doing two barbarians every round. And then two rounds later, you're going to, or two canal sections later, you're going to go up to three. And then finally, in the last one, you have to move, add four barbarians every round. And remember, there's only seven spaces. So if you're adding three barbarians each round, that, that takes up a lot of your potential workers you could buy. Uh, once you've done all that, you will now go ahead and gather new resources for the next round. The, the thing to keep in mind, I didn't mention this yet, when you're drawing cards, if you can't draw a new bar, uh, worker from your deck, you shuffle your discard and you keep drawing, but you now also have to advance the flood one space to the right. So having a, losing those workers from your deck is problematic because your deck is getting smaller and that flood is going to advance more quickly. Right, so that, that's never good. The, the way you lose the game is if either you have to advance the flood and it reaches your barge, you lose the game right there, or if you have to discard cards from your deck and you have no cards left. And you'll be discarding cards because of the Barbarians yelling. So those are the two ways you lose the game. If you didn't lose the game, keep playing, keep doing rounds until you have built that last uh, card and survived through the end of the round. That's basically the game. I've gone through it pretty quickly, but there isn't that much to it. The gameplay is pretty pretty simple and pretty straightforward. The, the heart of the game really is figuring out those resources that you've got, the white meeples or the different colored meeples and the shells, and you're able to sometimes, as you unlock things, for example, trade a, white, a couple shells for a new worker or a provision or something like that. I didn't tell you, but once you've uncovered those different hut spaces and built them, you could place a worker in a hut. That is one kind of important thing I did leave out. Placing the worker in the first hut will give you a provision. Once you've unlocked the second hut, placing a worker there will let you turn a white worker, the one you just placed there, into a new worker of a different color. Um, the other spaces give you other things, more shells or let you convert or, or just um, gain a resource, either a one of the wooden bits, a, the clay or the wood sticks, or a new cowrie shell. And those workers that you place on these huts, you'll get back at the end of the round. So it's, it's kind of neat, like if you could spend a white worker, put it in there and get a yellow worker, it's like you just got a free worker because you're getting the white one back soon. So all that managing resources is the heart of the game. I, I'm watching Julius, and I feel like I've almost lost him here. Yeah. Am I making sense? <laughs> I mean, it seems to me like it's just an action selection game where you're... Not, not even. It's just managing the resources. It's a lot of trading resources and playing actions to gain resources or do something. So there's, yeah, I guess it's some action selection, but it's really resource management is the heart of it. And figuring out, okay, I need a white meeple and a yellow meeple to do this action here. How do I get the yellow one? Oh, I could spend these two things here and do that and do this and not unlock that. And now I could do these other things and get this, which give me a new meeple and two shells that I cannot use to do this other thing. So you spend a lot of time planning how you do your, how you spend your resources and take your actions in the right order to maximize your turn. Which sounds really familiar. It sounds like a lot of other games. Absolutely. It does. <laughs> but I find this really satisfying in this game. I like I like the theme. I like the the layout of everything is very Wait, simple. Wait, the theme the, is what you like? Because even the theme I mean, it's felt... one of the things I like. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's dry, but it works. It works really well, I find. And I like the legacy aspect. Of it. Even if it's not really super legacy, you're never going to tear up a card. You're, but you're trading cards in and once in a while unlocking features. It's not like it's a campaign. Yeah, it's a campaign with unlockable content. Most Many campaign games don't have unlockable content, I suppose, but whatever. Okay. This one does. And and you unlock cards and you get rid of other cards. And sometimes the car, things you're going to unlock are bad. Sometimes they're good. 
the first time through, you have no idea. The second time, you kind of know what to expect. And it's interesting. You're saying, okay, I know if I do this now, what's going to ca- be the consequence? So if it's a good consequence, I may want to try and get it done sooner. If it's a bad consequence, I'm going to see if I could push it off a little longer. So it starts affecting how, how I resolve things in the game. And I, I did find that satisfying. Um, but yeah, it's really, like I said, it's a real basic resource management game. Everything is laid out in front of me and it's very clear and very easy to follow. And I find that very satisfying. And I, like when I say very, I mean, I've had this game a month and I've played it 21 times already. No, 23 times already. <laughs> I never have that much time to play a game like this. So that says a lot for it. That, I mean, that's, that's really the game in a nutshell. What I, so, so I mean, let me jump into, do you have any questions? I guess. Not really. Okay. So let me jump into my thoughts. The I really like that process of managing those resources, right? I've already told you that. The planning how to spend things in the right order for the highest impact, right? I find that super fun. Um, maybe Sometimes when I do things, I may, as a solo gamer, say, you know what? I didn't do that in that order. I'm going to take it back real quick and change it. I don't know if that's cheating or not, but I do that. That doesn't feel like cheating, cheating to me. Not if you haven't revealed information. Yeah, if I may, I yeah, if I didn't get any new information, and if I did get information, I wouldn't do that. I'll accept it. But otherwise, I'll backtrack a couple actions and, and redo my actions. Um, I, I really enjoy the way the your draw pile is also used as a timing mechanism. In that each time you go through that draw pile once, you're advancing the flood, and so managing that that pile is interesting because I want to get as many new workers as I can to make my deck bigger, so that I could slow down the flood. But sometimes I also really need to to spend some of those workers and discard them out of the, out of my deck, so I could gain those extra resources that I may really need. Especially if like oh, I really need yellow workers now because there's a lot of barbarians that require yellow, and I just don't have any any yellow coming in unless I discard these two cards from my deck. That's what I think could get interesting. And there is tension. I don't know how people design these kinds of games. I find it really amazing. It, it feels like a lot of time the flood is right on my tail. And just as I'm building the finally able to build that next canal space, the flood comes in right behind. Yeah, I, I find that really amazing that it, it just feels like I'm just barely ahead of the flood some games. And and that tension is really interesting. So I enjoy that about it. Okay, again, the story itself, not that great, not a big deal, but the process of unlocking the content and adding new cards and removing cards each game, I do like. Have you ever played Paladins of the West Kingdom? Nope. Same publishers too though so i wonder if it's true i have not played any games any by this company before by renegade i really? didn't even yeah i didn't even know it was them when i backed i said on kickstarter i don't know why i said on kickstarter and it, i kind of watched the video and I said oh that looks interesting and the art i thought looked interesting so i watched it and i backed it on a whim and forgot about it and then it showed up and after it showed up and i was looking at it and i found those cards i know what they were i went to find the cards in bgg and then i realized oh this is Hadrian's Wall. Oh, they make these other games. I've heard of them. I have actually avoided the the one you mentioned. The um, what is it? The West Kingdom game. That's the one I just said. Yes. Okay. Because of the cover art, I don't like how that cover art looks at all. What? Yeah, I really don't. And because of that, I've ignored that game entirely. It's a series of games. Yeah, and there's the Raiders of the North Sea or something like that. Yeah. That one's at my game store in the used game shelf, or yeah, in the consignment shelf, and I've considered getting it after having played this, but I keep just not doing that. And again, it's that art. It's like, I don't know. I just don't like the look of it. So I've ignored it. And I'm sure they're great games. What's really interesting to me is I prefer the art in Paladins than the art in you. 
Well, I mean, you're wrong, I guess. So, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but paladins to me also strikes me. You were mentioning how you give a resource and you get two back and you use those and mm-hmm. you, you keep running that. Paladins has that same feeling to it. So, it, okay. I'm kind of curious how they would compare. Yeah, I have no idea. I have no idea how they would compare. Is it the same designer? I I don't think so. It's at least the same publisher, so. It is not the same designer. Oh, it is. Shem, Shem Phillips is involved in both. So there you go. So I would not be surprised if they feel the same in that case, yeah. This one is at least solitaire specific, so it may have That's that true. as a benefit, I guess, right? At least in a solitaire podcast point of view. Other people might say, well, that's no good. <laughs> for us, it's a benefit. <laughs> yeah, for us, it is. For us, it's great. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know anything about the, the West Kingdom games. I'm curious-ish. But, mm. And I really like the way the campaign, each time you, you play, you draw a random card. So it unlocks a different uh, goal. Like, or, or if you win, you can draw a random card and it's going to change the game somehow. Going forward, it's going to be harder. And you don't know how it is going to be until you draw that card. How the next game will be until you draw the next card. I find that actually a little stressful because there's a couple of those victory cards that are pretty bad. And I can't decide if I want to get those earlier on or later and just be done with them. Because it's it's a sort of card where you, it's going to change the next game and you have to resolve that. And then it, then it will go away. And it's like, well, do I... And it may not go away in one game. It may take a couple. So, like, do I really want to deal with that card now or do I want to save it later? I, you know, I don't know. I hear. Yeah. One interesting thing is I actually am not fighting the game hard. I have won almost every game I've played at this point. Oh, really? I've only lost the first few, and I still am having a great time. I'm still wanting to play again and again. The game is supposed to balance for that over the course of the campaign, where if you win a bunch, it's supposed to make it harder. Do you feel like it does, it does that? Make, it does definitely make it harder, but even then, I'm not finding it too hard to win. But not hard enough. Now, there was that one campaign where I played wrong, and it was definitely easier for me. But I have gone back now and started a new campaign, and I've played through five of the seven games, and I still haven't lost any. One or two were kind of close, but many have been, you know, uh, a clear victory. You know, mm. a few rounds in, I'm like, this this game's already done, and I could tell. Um, mm. But I'm still having a good time. I'm just having so much fun with the process of playing and managing the resources and figure out what to do that, it, that I don't care whether I'm going to win or lose. I mentioned I brought a. An, a promo one of the promo things is for this game it is a, a, a single barbarian card and if you use it you would use it at the start of the game and instead of having one barbarian out you'll start with two out so it's a little harder so probably after this campaign i'll probably start using that just to, to make the game more challenging interesting yeah i'm having fun the way it is well sounds good Mm-hmm. so yeah i mean that's that's the that's the legacy of you i, I think it's a really fun game Who, definitely me? looking for when it's available in retail <laughs> yes, the legacy of you, Julius. It's a whole game just about you. Ah, <laughs> uh, we need to come out with one of those. <laughs> oh, you know, we could make a a solo journaling game about you. No, thank you. <laughs> I don't think I would choose. I don't think I would choose solo journaling games for my own one. No, that would not be a good legacy of me. So, so <laughs> legacy of me. So, is this uh, episode history then? What? <laughs> are we done with this episode it's now just history ah uh, i believe so yes <laughs> goodbye you <laughs> goodbye you thank you 
Thanks for listening. We love feedback, so we love hearing from you. You can reach me at Julius at OnePlayerPodcast.com or JLBird on BGG. And Albert can be reached at Albert at OnePlayerPodcast.com or Fractaloon on BGG. Our website is OnePlayerPodcast.com with the number one, and we're also on Twitter at OnePlayerPodcast. The intro music is copyright Angus, can be found at Gemendo.com. The transition music is copyright by Dan Elduce Pancaldi, whose page is at DanPancaldi.com. The One Player Podcast is protected under a Creative Commons share-alike license. Thanks for listening.